Welcome to It Just Takes One. One person, one idea, one moment can change your life. Here's what's coming up on today's show. Eventually it will become right. You're never out of the game if you keep trying. An eye contact and I just knew whatever was heavy with me at the time, she was feeling. She didn't carry it for me, but she felt it with me. Hi, everyone. This is Kelly Watson, and I am back. A few years ago, I ran this podcast, and after, I don't know, about 100 episodes or so, I decided to take a break. It was a busy time in my life. I expanded my business. I had two out of my three children off to college now, and I even got married. So I have been busy. But for a while now, I've been having this desire to start the podcast again. I really enjoy interviewing people because there are so many incredible stories out there to share and so many inspiring things that people are doing. And so I'm ready to start sharing those again. This podcast, It Just Takes One, is dedicated to sharing the stories of people who have made an impact in their communities and in the world. I want to explore the reasons that people become successful and what they believe it takes to live a meaningful, purposeful life. Along the way, I hope you will learn one thing, have one experience, come up with one idea, or have one moment that moves you enough to improve your life, to make your own impact, and to help you create the most healthy and purposeful life that you can live. Today, as we begin this journey, it seemed very appropriate to go back to the beginning, to the beginning of my life, (laughs) and to the beginning of this podcast as well, because right at the beginning, I think it was the second episode I did, I interviewed my mom and my dad. At the time I did the interview, my mother had just been diagnosed with gallbladder cancer. It was stage three, and we didn't know what would happen. She ended up battling that cancer for a couple of years, and sadly, she passed away three years ago this month, March 5th, 2015. It's unbelievable to me that it's been three years. I really don't know where that time has gone, and honestly, there are so many days where I feel like she's still right here with me, and I have a hard time believing that she's not. But as I sat down and thought about starting It Just Takes One Again, I was reminded of this interview, and it seemed the very perfect place to start. I think you'll enjoy hearing the words of wisdom in the voices of the two people who helped to shape me into the person I am today. My parents were both teachers. They were educators, teachers at heart. And they taught me and so many other people throughout their lives. Their values and beliefs are something that we can all learn from. I know if you listen to their words today, you will learn something. One thing that will make your life better. Of course, (laughs) I can't help but smile as I hear my mom's voice again. So, listen in. Let me introduce you to Mike and Joan O'Brien, my mom and dad. Hi, guys. Are you there? We are here. It's really good to hear your voice. Hi, Kel. (laughs) Good to hear your voices, too. I thought it might be fun for the listeners to hear your perspective on 
my life growing up. Maybe hear a little bit about uh, maybe a couple of stories about me growing up that show them that I'm a real person and have gone through some things in life. So I thought I would give you guys each a chance. Maybe, Mom, you want to start with, with a story or something that you want to share about me when I was little? A couple. One is, you know, I was thinking, I don't ever remember you crying. My first tears that I remember from you were from high school. Isn't that strange? Must be you had a good digestion. I probably never system. cried before high school. Probably <laughs> never not. Probably never. And I um, wanted to... I thought about the, uh, someone once referred to you as the mayonnaise, as uh, you were a middle child, and you tried to keep peace between everybody, and you made everything a little more flavorful. And uh, I always kind of liked that analogy. And one other story, I don't know if you remember from kindergarten, there was a little boy in your class named Craig. Uh-huh. And the kindergarten teacher early on found out that Craig behaved much better when you were around. So much to the <laughs> point that when you went to first grade, she decided the two of you should go together because you would take care of Craig and make life easier for the first grade teacher. Well, when you went into second grade, we finally said, okay, enough's enough. <laughs> so that was, but that was the kind of a child you were. You were an easy child. Well, I'm, I'm sure that hasn't changed at all, but that's actually a funny story because I, I shared that with Kira recently, my daughter and was telling her about the time when there was a boy that they felt like, for whatever reason, I was able to calm him down. I don't remember how I did or what I did, but um, and I don't even know where he is today. I hope he's doing well somewhere in the world. <laughs> Funny story. I do, too. How about you, Dad? <laughs> what do you remember? So many. Um, one of my favorite stories is when you were four or five, and um, as parents would go through, something happened and you were going to run away. And you went upstairs and you packed your little doll bag type thing, you know, it was just a very small bag as your doll, doll clothes, but you put your clothes in there. Remember your mom and I were saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What's going on? And you went out and you sat on, you went on the porch and you sat on the steps and you were out there for maybe half an hour or 45 minutes. And I think you finally realized, because I assume you were probably heading for your grandmother's, um, you finally decided, well, I'm not sure how I'm going to get there. Without that word, you... Remember, we were watching you, you know, from out the window, <laughs> keeping track of you in case you didn't take off. And uh, you came back in, went upstairs, unpacked your bag, and <laughs> put your clothes away, and never, nothing was ever said. <laughs> that was and, how you know, you my memory you. is I was, I was sitting there thinking, I hope they come and get me soon. I hope they come and get me soon. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a half hour. It felt like so long. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you're you always a problem solver. You know, even though I, you know, yeah. if we watch you go to school, you, I, I said to your mom, I always think, you know, and even in, especially in high school, I was a principal, and uh, sometimes I put stress on all three of you girls, and uh, uh, you would find whatever problem I created among teachers or kids, and you'd kind of peel it like an onion. You'd, you'd break the problem down into pieces and realize that the problem really wasn't yours. It was theirs. And somehow you were able to separate that, and, and you still do that. You you don't take on problem sides that other people should keep, but you are a great problem solver when people have problems. As Mom was saying with Greg, um, you solve those problems. You know, that's one of your skills, um, and, and that's something you like to do, and you're you're just gifted at it. I know that I got that from both of you. There's not even a doubt because 
you taught that to me and then taught me so many other things as well, which we'll talk about as we get going. But let's talk a little bit about the two of you, because certainly I, I wouldn't be here if you two hadn't met to begin with. So share the story. And, and Dad, I think I'm going to let you share the story of how you and Mom met. I, as I remember our wedding day when I first saw her, um, like a, it's like a picture in front of me. I still remember the day I saw her. It's, it's, um, it was in Eldred when we lived, and um, she was in seventh grade, and um, she had her. She was walking down the street, and she was in her cheerleading outfit, and um, I just liked her. I just liked the way she looked, and whatever. And I, and ever since then, we got to know each other and became friends. And uh, but that's really where I first saw her, and. Uh, through the years, they had a big porch, uh, and um, uh, your mom taught me to dance, and uh, her mother was very instrumental in community-type things with kids, and, and uh, we used to have dances, and your mom was the one, you know, she taught me to dance, and as you, you know, and uh, uh, just been my friend since seventh grade. It's amazing, and, and it's certainly very rare. You don't hear stories like that where people met so young and have been together for the rest of their life since then. Mom, I thought it would be fun for you to share the story of the letter that you got from Dad when he was in the Navy. Navy. Yeah, I was uh, between my junior and senior year in, in high school, and uh, Mike had gone. Uh, he joined the Navy. He was two years ahead of me. So I was at church camp in the summer, and my mother, I talked with my mom, uh, and she said, you got a letter from Mike O'Brien. <gasps> I said, oh, I did. I couldn't wait to get home and read it. That was just wonderful. And from then on, probably hundreds and hundreds of letters have flown <laughs> back and forth between us, through, especially through those years when we were apart. And then uh, when he was in the Navy and then at the Academy, and, and it was a, a good way for us to communicate and to really get to know each other. Sometimes letters are better at that than speaking person to person. And I think better than email, too, or, or even texting. I was at the academy. She wrote me every day, and sometimes the letters were five or six pages long. <laughs> you were at the academy, and you were you were really formed during that experience. A lot of I know just from hearing the stories through the years of things that happened to you at the academy. Not only your relationship with mom being formed, and, and certainly a testament of the letters she was writing you every day, but but you a lot of what you have shared in your life as a teacher, as a principal, and, and parent, superintendent, all of the things since then, a lot of it came from the academy. Tell a little bit about your experience there and some of the things that happened there that helped form your belief system and your value system. Right. Um the academy, most people, you know, they see it on TV and so forth. But it's, it's especially your first year is a very difficult year, and 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 you learn what it is. It's a training to be a leader. I guess is you know is our goal. But under fire, um, when when you have heavy things coming at you and adversity, somehow you slow down your breathing and you you sit back and look at the facts and and, and look at the problem rather than all the emotions that you're feeling. And I one of the people I always put in my head five people. Um, that I always talk about my life, and, and your mom is one of those people, and Lee Fryer, who you know, and um, two of my teachers, a sixth-grade math teacher and a ninth-grade English teacher who made a difference in my life. But he said one time, he we, we told us how we were all feeling sorry for ourselves, being at the plebes, when we were at the plebe, you're in a rest stop, and you do feel sorry for yourself. Why are they doing this to me? And um, he, he said something to the fact that um, 
<clears throat> he said, once you realize you're feeling sorry for yourself, and he said, that's okay. That's what it's about. But he said, look at the clock, give yourself five more minutes, and then get on with life, because that's what it's about. And no matter what mistakes you make, and uh, the, the, you got to keep trying to do it right. Eventually, it will become right. That You're never out of the game if you keep trying. And I think that's what the plea bureau and that's what the academy does to you. It, you learn to use your time efficiently, and you, you can always make things more positive. I don't like to use the word win, but you can always make things more positive and um, uh, make the situation, the adversity, um, better than it was. I think that's what um, I think. You know, as you know, I have rheumatoid arthritis, and I've had that since my mid thirties. And I think my training at the academy is. What's kept me and kept me active and uh, has gotten me through this um, situation. Most people wouldn't even know I had it except for the deformities I have. Mhm, mhm. And and that was another huge transition in your life because you were extremely athletic and played every sport. From what I remember, you coached me in every sport. You taught me every sport. I remember the year you bought me a football helmet. I must have been about eight. Um, then I could play football with the boys in the neighborhood. Right on his butt. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sending this to him so he can remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Danny talks about that sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's a, was a huge transition when you were diagnosed with the rheumatoid arthritis and, and, had to give up some of that ability that you had as a, as a younger man. How do you get through that? How do you really your mom, how do you gracefully Um, give away that? I, I fought it, you know, I ran every day and and I kept running and I kept hurting and and I wouldn't give into it, so to speak. And, but I, your mom taught me to listen to my body. And I'm sure through that time, as you know, that's when you're, things were going pretty tough with um, your grandmother and grandfather. Um, a lot of issues were going on there with the health-wise and, and our family. And um, I know that must have been one of your mom's toughest times with us when, um, when her mom stuff so sick and, and me going through this because I, I handled it for the first two, three, four, five years, joined you. I, I handled it very – I was so so angry. Um, but, again, I think the idea of, of keeping on is, you know, now I, I walk every day, I play golf, I – you know, again, I've had major surgeries, and you saw my hands. You wouldn't think I could grip a golf club, but I, I shoot in low 80s, or high 80s, I should say. I used to shoot in low 80s. Um, I think, you know, Mom, she just kept with me. She kept telling me about the grieving process, and that's what I went through. It was a, it was a very difficult time. You know, I was in a lot of pain back then. You know, you know what the rheumatoid arthritis did was because he had a military training, is very rigid, which is great for the military. But when you come to something like that, it's a very humbling, humbling experience. And it taught him to be a gentler, kinder, and a more understanding person, especially with students because he was a teacher. And so through the high school students, they benefited phenomenally by this adversity to him. It was, uh, it was, uh, it had its good side in the long run. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and and certainly there are a lot of stories, and students still come up whenever I'm home. There's never a time that we're out that somebody doesn't come up and speak to both of you, honestly, to tell what an impact you had on their life from decades ago, 
you know, when you were still teaching and working in the school districts, which, which is another important piece of who you both are. And, you know, dad talks about how you helped him through some of this and you kind of gave him some different perspectives and you've been that for all of us. But a lot of that comes from your ability to teach and, and your innate ability to help people see things that they might not see, but also from your faith. Talk a little bit about how your faith plays into your life. You know, uh, the walk in faith is um, is an interesting one. And to look back on it, it is, it's been kind of a fun thing to think about. I've always been raised in the church and um, and have done all the things. You know, I go to church regularly and all of that. And, and I'm a Bible reader and... Uh, I know all those all those things, but just recently, in the last couple of years, something has hit me that is so terribly profound and so extremely simple if you're a Christian, and that's mm-hmm. the fact that God is always with you no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I've always known that, but all of a sudden, mm-hmm. it took on a new meaning, really mm-hmm. profound for any person anywhere. He's there always. And I guess that's my faith. And and uh, he always listens. And often there's an, a response right away. It's happened twice this morning already because it's mm-hmm. been kind of a unusual busy morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, it this happened twice. So that's my faith. You know, mom's going well, through stage three cancer. And um, mm-hmm. she handled it. It's just, I can't tell you how well she handles it. And I think it's a lot to do with her faith. Would you agree, Mom? Yes, I probably so. I it's it's been a kind of a funny thing because it's kind of like it. I'm immune to it. It it hasn't seemed to touch me internally. It's there. I deal with it, and that's it. It's it's an odd thing. It's hard to explain. Sense of humor. She said four serious operations internally. <laughs> <laughs> one is my thought that there are people who unexpectedly many times give us a direction or help us down a path that if we hadn't met that person or heard what they had to say, we might have gone a completely different way. Is there anybody in your life who inspired you that way? I had an interesting childhood. I was raised in Eldridge, which had 1,199 people in it when I was 10 years old. And many of these people knew who I was, whether I knew them or not. They were just, it was kind of like the Waltons. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone was tied together and liked each other and worked together in whatever way. But as far as individuals, um, one person comes to mind. It was a person that I taught with, a first grade teacher that I taught with. And it was her ability to listen with such great feeling, not a lot of emotion or anything, but there was an eye contact, and I just knew whatever was heavy with me at the time, she was feeling. She didn't carry it for me, but she felt it with me when I 
talked with her. And I found that to be very comforting and very helpful because you don't want to burden people with your problems. But sometimes it's nice to share these things that happen with someone. And if there's a listener there that is an active listener that sort of experiences what you're saying, and then they can let it go, and you've gotten it out of your system. And um, mm-hmm. I'm always grateful to Barb. She's a wonderful, wonderful lady. And, of course, my mother. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> my mother was, she was always there for me, always, and always knew exactly what was going on, knew how I felt before I felt it. She was just a, a very intuitive person, very creative, and she was that Ours was the place to come. If you had a project due, come see Delilah because she'll she'll know a good way to do it. Well, and and you are exactly the same, and I know Dad would agree with me on that. That's exactly how you are, and and certainly um, my sisters, Christy and Kara, and I had the benefit of that when we had anything that needed to be done. You always knew and could come up with a solution for it, whether it was a salt clay project for a school or. Um, you know, a costume that needed to be done or whatever, you were always able to do that. And and the same for your grandchildren now. With my three kids and and my nieces and nephews, you've you've got eight of them. And all of them know that Nana and Papa is, you know, the place that you go when you need an array of creative creative ideas and paper and colored paper and glues and glitters and all kinds of things like that too, right? Can I add to that? I will say that all three of you girls are extraordinary. At, at coming up with the ideas of, of whatever needs to be done for your children. What I have that most of you don't and it's, is the supplies because I've got all <laughs> kinds exactly of stuff, right. much to dad's dismay. Sometimes. <laughs> we have a lot. <laughs> a lot of construction paper. Probably 3,000 magic markers. <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. It's true. You know, they, 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 you know, talking again, it's coming thing that people, um, again, the idea of what, what are you like, you know, that, but again, I don't know. Most people know, you know, you, you were an all state choir, you, you know, that you made it through school. Uh, you held a swimming record. You were an outstanding cheerleader. You used to give, you know, you were an accompanist for other kids and for the bands and choruses and kids who were trying out for the all state for both band and chorus. You were an accompanist. Um, you were a church organist. Um, you you did a host of things when you came up through as a kid. Um, you know, you were always active and busy, and you always did it very calmly. You know, and I think even as, as I watch you now at Studio Wade and as you have your growing pains and whatever, um, you, you, you make a goal, you decide where you want to go, you decide how to get there, and you take steps to get there, and you bring people along. And I, I think one of the, you know, your greatest strengths, again, and I think if you talk with Nancy and Kate and some of the people that have been so instrumental in helping you and you helping them. Um, you pull people in and um, you spread, you make sure we're all going toward the same goal. And that's one of the, you know, skills you have. Of, this is the goal and keep everybody going focused on that goal. And you have such good friends and, and you are such a good friend to so many. I think the people, I think many people came in Croatia and all the people we meet <laughs> that you bring into your fold so easily. And uh, uh, one of your, Yes, is that you're, you're you're a good friend. Mm-hmm. You know, but you apples don't fall far from the tree. I didn't just create that. That was, you know, some of the lessons that you gave to me, and that I was fortunate enough to be a part of growing up. 
And you brought up a few of them, you know, one being that you opened up a lot of opportunities for me and, and gave me the chance and the, and the support to try some different kinds of things. And I think that's a lesson in life that I try to share with my kids as well, that provide opportunities and, and open doors rather than closed doors. And who knows where they end up, where they don't end up, but, let, but keep trying. Some other lessons, and I, I wrote down a few of these because these are little nuggets that I use often come out of my mouth and I go, oh, that's my dad's voice. Oh, that's my mom's voice. <laughs> um, you know, as I think all people do, we, we carry on the, the lessons we learn from our parents. But here are a few that I have used and in, internalized in my life that I learned from you. One of them is everyone is important and has worth, so treat everyone equally well. And I'll share two stories with both of you, and then I'll get your comment on it. Both of you were teachers in the school district, and then Dad became principal and later a superintendent. Here are two stories. One of them, Mom, was you were teaching in the elementary school, either first or second grade, and the woman who cleaned the room would come in at the end of the day, and you would stand there and talk with her, and you found out her life story, you knew everything about her kids. You would bring her goodies, you know, clothing that she needed to share with her grandchildren and um, maybe some cookies that we had made, and you would bring them to her, really caring so much about this woman that came to clean your room. Can I add to that? Her, her name was Esther, and I was scared of her. When I knew she was going to clean my room, it scared me to death because loud voices and sharp words um, don't set well with me, even if even if they're not meant to be sharp. I don't know how to handle them. And so I always knew Esther as a person who had sharp words and a sharp voice. And so I thought, okay, what am I going to do? <laughs> so that's exactly what I did. I, I said, okay, I'm going to get to know her. And when I did, I loved her. She was wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And has most one of the, two of the most wonderful daughters that are in their 80s now, and I love dearly. And it was Esther. She was great. And Go ahead. you carried that on with every person, you know, sort of a family joke. Dad will laugh at this as well. Is, you know, it only takes a minute to meet my mom. <laughs> she knows your life. <laughs> not because she's not a nosiness, but because you truly, truly care about people. And, you know, you started Jonah's Attic at the church, which is a, a ongoing sale to, uh, for the church, but you bring in these people that, you know, have stories to tell and you listen to them. And, and you know, that's Esther is an example of that. But, Dad, here's, here's a story that will make you smile. This is where I learned that lesson from you. You were principal of the high school that I went to. And we would walk down the hall, no matter where we were, if there was a piece of paper on the floor or a half of a pencil that had broken and somebody had left on the floor, you would pick up all the garbage on the floor as you walked through. You would never walk by it without taking a minute to just pick up and clean up. And that's, right. you know, quote unquote, custodian's job, right? But that lesson was really instilled in me in a different way. You remember that? You know that. That's what you live now. I still yeah, always do that. It's pride and much, yeah. See what people learn when you're not looking. <laughs> <laughs> but you weren't even as principal. You weren't too small to be able to pick up the garbage on the floor. 
you know, that was the lesson that, that I got from that. And that's because everyone has worth and everyone's treated equally well. That's not, <laughs> yeah, I, I, when, once the explorer got spilled over someplace, get them off and clean it up. I'm, I've had teachers say I shouldn't do that, but of course I should do it. You know, the, the, if it took too long, I, I'd get a custodian, of course, because mm-hmm. I, I have things I had to do that are a different level. But, yeah, that's that's part of life. And a uh, quick story, I remember one time uh, interviewing for a principal and I was superintendent at Angelica, and, and then my board president, uh, uh, Sally Kepner, a great lady, good lady, and she said uh, the guy didn't pick it up. And when they're after the interview, she said, I'm not going to hire him. She said, he walked in the he walked in the school. There was a piece of paper right there by the door, and he didn't pick it up. She said, "You would have picked. You would have always picked it up. There's no way you'd have done that." And I said, "Sally, do you realize he probably was lucky he even saw the door? He was he was pretty nervous. He might not have seen that piece of paper at all. <laughs> he was coming for an interview, but she was so strong in her that I would always pick up the paper. She wasn't going to hire him. <laughs> by the way, we did hire him, <laughs> and he was very good." <laughs> Well, everyone has their strengths, that's for sure. Actions certainly speak louder than words. There's another lesson that you taught me along the way. Um, you know, watching, always judge by watching actions. what people no. do. Yep, that's, that's, that's so important. I always lament that somewhere around fifth grade, students start listening to adults rather than watching adults. When young, younger kids, they watch you. You know, and they mm-hmm. watch them. I always think, well, if you watch one, two, three, four years old, they know if you like them, really like them, or don't like them. They instinctively, because they watch what you do. They don't listen to what you say. They judge you by what you do, and that's what—that's an important thing that will go through your life. Don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do, and then you'll find out what the real person is, especially under adverse conditions when things aren't going well. We can all walk on water when it's frozen. <laughs> What happens when it's thought out <laughs> and the ways are going. Right. So, yeah. That's right. I think you're being well, I can't believe uh, it, we're actually coming to the end of this half hour. I knew it would go by quickly, and I would love to share more of my mom and dad somewhere down the road. I'd love to have you guys come back on, and we'll continue this discussion, sharing some of these nuggets that have helped create me and that have helped the studio to grow as well. Mom and dad, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks. It's fun. We it's love fun. you. And, and again, it's, you know, I think I just urge, you know, people have things like I have with rheumatoid arthritis. You're the kind of person who can help them. Exercise is what they need. It's someone who knows, understands it. So get to Kelly. I do my best. Always do my best. And that's <laughs> thanks to Very both good. of you. I love you both. I love, love you, Kelly. You See you soon. And there you have it. An interesting conversation with my mom and dad. I can't tell you how good it was to hear my mom, especially when she greeted me by saying, it's great to hear your voice. Honestly, it was really great to hear her voice. (laughs) As teachers, my mom and dad were always sharing life lessons and they imparted so many words of wisdom to me, to my sisters, to our community. I hope you gathered up some of those nuggets as you listened. And I just thought I'd give you my eight top takeaways from that conversation. Number one, write letters. In a world where we always send texts and emails, sometimes letters just do a better job. Number two, break problems down into pieces. Peel back the layers like an onion and find the one piece that you can work on. 
My mother even said that great challenges have a good side as well. And sometimes those challenges can serve to make you a kinder, gentler person. My dad gave us number three. When you're experiencing adversity, slow down. Breathe deeper. Look at the problem, not at the emotion. He also said, it's okay to feel sorry for yourself. It is. But when you realize it, look at the clock. Give yourself five minutes and then get on with life. (laughs) My mother said, God is always with you. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, he's always there and he's always listening. My dad said number six, set a goal. Decide where you want to go, decide how to get there, and then take steps to make it happen. Both my parents taught me number seven, treat everyone with kindness You are never too big or too important to stoop down and pick up the garbage or to reach out to someone in need. And number eight, actions always speak louder than words. So pay attention to what someone is doing, not to what they're saying. Their actions will tell you who they really are. And there you have it. Eight pieces of advice, some great words of wisdom from my mom and my dad. I hope you take one idea from that list and use it for good this week. And that does it. It wraps up the first episode of It Just Takes One. Stay tuned in the coming weeks to hear more inspiring stories.